listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Hey guys, welcome to the Business of Baking podcast. It's Michelle here, as usual. No one else hosts this thing. Who else is going to be? Just me. So funnily enough, last season, I did an episode of the podcast called The Best Advice That I Ever Got, some of which I took, some of which I was a little slow to take, but all of which I got and I thought was useful and I wanted to pass it on to you guys. And not surprisingly, the feedback I got from that episode was that you really loved it, but you wanted to have me do an episode about the worst business advice I ever got. Which is hilarious, right? Because we all love a train wreck more than we love a positive story. (laughs) I mean, like positive and inspirational is great. But what we actually like is kind of crappy, oh my God, everything went wrong stories. So you ask, I deliver on today's episode. This is what we're talking about. I'm going to talk about the worst advice or the worst business advice that I ever got. Without further ado, let's roll out the terrible advice. By the way, I hope none of you take this advice. <laughs> like, I hope you listen to this episode knowing that I totally mean it as like tongue in cheek, me being silly. Like, don't go taking this advice, okay? Because taking this advice is not how it's all meant to work. So let's, let's rock on with this. I should say that as a general kind of rule, the worst advice I ever got was from people who were not themselves business owners. And anybody who is a parent will totally appreciate this. You know, the minute you get pregnant, everybody in the world is giving you advice about what your kid should eat and what your kid should wear and what your kid should play with and whatever. And there's like super judgy people who are like, my kid would never have a pacifier. And like, I'd never let my kid play in the dirt. And my kid is not going to watch TV until they're like 18. You know, this kind of rubbish advice. So when you say you're opening or running a business, you tend to attract a whole lot of people who want to give you a whole lot of really crappy advice like that. And so the worst advice in general came from people who had never done it themselves. And often I found that the advice they were giving me was a reflection of their own insecurities or their own worries or their own concerns. It wasn't really a reflection of me and what I was capable of. It was all about like their own hysteria, you know, or they would love to tell you these stories about people who went into business and failed. They would like love to tell you that. I don't know how that's meant to be encouraging or helpful, but yeah. So people used to come and tell me stories. I'd be like, oh, I'm so excited opening my shop. And they'll be like, oh my God, this cafe just closed down like yesterday. Or yeah, my friend tried to run a cupcake business and that didn't work so well for her. And somebody else I knew tried to run a pie business and that totally closed down. So (laughs) as a blanket statement, don't take advice from anybody who hasn't actually walked the walk or talked the talk. And just while I'm on my little podcasty soapbox today, I feel this way about online business advice as well. I'm certainly not the only one who talks about the business side of owning a cake company or a baking company, but I am one of the few people who talks about it that's actually done it in the real world. Like there was an actual business with actual employees and I paid actual taxes. I didn't just talk about it. And so, you know, small bee in my bonnet there drives me crazy when people give business advice online who have not actually run a small business themselves. So anyway, blanket statement. But let's get a little bit more specific. Probably one of the worst pieces of advice. I don't know if it was actually advice. Worst thing anybody ever said to me 
came from a boss I had uh, named Joe, who I actually really like. So Joe, if you're listening, hi, I don't hate you or anything. (laughs) Who basically told me on a number of occasions that she didn't think I was suited to pastry work and she didn't think I was suited to cake work. And truthfully, at the time, it was absolutely devastating. It was really devastating at the time. And I was really offended and really upset. As it turns out, she was right because I was way better at the business than I was at cake or decorating. I'm I'm capable of those things, but my talent and my real superpower lies in the business side of things. So she was kind of right. But at the time, I was working as a pastry chef and that's where I wanted my career to be. And at the time, my big dream was to be this high-end wedding cake maker and all this kind of stuff. Now, we all know how that story ends, right? But at the time, it was truly devastating. And honestly, she fueled my desire to be successful even more because she told me I couldn't do it. And anybody who knows me in real life knows that I'm intensely competitive. And I intensely love to like give the big, you know, F you to people who try to tell me that I can't do things. I'm like, really? Really? You want to see me do that? (laughs) You know, you want a big fight kind of thing? So that, although it wasn't technically advice per se, she basically just told me I wasn't suited to pastry and I should, I guess the advice part was like, find another job, babe, because you suck at this. (laughs) Right? So it wasn't exactly advice, but it certainly was really, really, really offensive, I have to say. The other bit of terrible advice I got, and I don't, again, like, you know, the funny thing is, like, I'm so independent and I'm so do things my own way, march to be my own drummer, that it wasn't often that I got advice that I just blanket went, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, okay. I so rarely do things because people say I should. In fact, sometimes it's completely the opposite. They say I should do something and therefore I don't want to do it. Like just because so-and-so told me to, then I'm not going to do it that way. And honestly, it's not a great way to be because sometimes I wonder if I haven't like, you know, bit myself on the bum for not just doing something the easy way because someone told me that's how to do it, right? So maybe perhaps the worst advice I've ever gotten (laughs) is actually from myself, right? Because my own advice is like, yeah, you shouldn't do that or you should do that based on what somebody else did or didn't say, right? One of the bits of advice that I didn't follow of my own was, you know, I have this thing like I don't get sucked into sales and that's not my thing and I'm not going to just buy stuff because it's there. But one of the things I did repeatedly was not trust my gut on marketing. And so I'm specifically referring to times when I got pressured into spending money on marketing or particularly ads Ads in wedding magazines was a big one, and I totally got sucked into the high-pressure sales tactics of those sales guys. Also, wedding websites, I got sucked into those ones as well. And so really interestingly, that was bad advice, right? The advice was you need to spend a whole bunch of money to get these ads in wedding magazines. Like I'm talking, you know, in the low, but still thousands of dollars here, right? I got completely sucked into believing that I had to advertise in wedding magazines in order to make a lot of money. Now, there are good reasons to advertise in wedding magazines. Gives you a fair amount of street cred. It's good to be associated with other companies that are in there. But in my head, I had that whole, you need to spend money to make money thing. And I thought that that's where the big money was going to come from. So the bad advice there was really that I didn't trust my own instincts on those things. I didn't. You guys know the story, right? I didn't want to do wedding cakes anyway. And so I don't really know why I spent that money. Other than to say, I really got pressured into it. And I know that these days we get a lot of emails and phone calls from a lot of organizations that want us to register on their website, register on this other directory, register on this, that, and the other. You know, we get a lot of review sites call, Groupon calls and wants us to do stuff. We get, as business owners, we get a lot of offers for advertising. We do. And I'm not saying they're all bad because they're not. They all have different opportunities you got to consider. 
But the worst advice is when somebody who's selling something tries to tell you that your business will be a failure without that thing. I mean, that's just rubbish. Nobody's business lives or dies based on them being in a directory or not being in a directory, but somehow we tend to get sucked into that and we believe it. So that's pretty terrible advice. If somebody's telling you, you must do this or your whole business will fail, you know what? The chances of that, slim to none. I actually can't really think of a single thing. Like, really, I can't think of a single thing on which your business might fail. You know, even if you lost all your money, you know, there's probably a way to get out of that. I I don't know. There's like, there's no one thing on which a business fails. If a business fails, it usually happens due to a number of reasons or a number of causes, not because of a single thing. So anytime you're getting advice to spend money on a kind of marketing or a kind of advertising that doesn't sit well with you and the person is trying to convince you that this is the end all and be all, yeah, I would like beat a hasty retreat and I'll just run for it. Another bit of terrible business advice I got was from people who told me that I had to make certain things, meaning certain products or certain flavors, or I had to offer things a certain way. And this is something I know a lot of you guys run into because a lot of people ask me, is it okay, Michelle, that I only want to do buttercream? Is it okay that I only do gluten-free? Is it okay that I only offer, you know, kids cakes or whatever? And you know, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, that I always come back to your business, your rules. But the overwhelming advice I got from people was like, if you don't offer this, you're going to offend like half the continent or something. And if you don't offer that, you're really going to alienate people. And you can't create a business based on only one product and on and on and on. People constantly gave me advice that I had to make certain things. I'm talking about from a product POV. And I just kind of ignored all of that. I was, you know, in the beginning of the business, I honestly agreed to everything. I was like, oh, you want cake? No worries. Cupcakes? Sure. Cake pops? Stupid little things? Yeah, no problem. Cookies? Yeah, bring it. Marshmallows? I made everything. God, you know. But anytime somebody said, you have to do this, otherwise nobody will come. I was like, uh, no, I don't think so right? Firstly, I know my clientele. I know who I'm selling to. I know what I'm good at, right? And I know what appeals to people. So I don't believe that have to do a thing. A really good example of this is also like trends. Sometimes I think we feel that we have to follow a certain trend. Like we have to make drip cakes or we have to offer, you know, I don't know. Have you guys seen those new cakes at the moment? They're not really cakes. They're like a a cookie with cream and like fresh flowers on top and stuff. They're really beautiful, right? We suddenly feel we have to offer that because people are like, if you don't offer that, oh my God, everybody's going to be offended. You know, rubbish. When I owned the cake shop, I didn't sell anything retail, right? You couldn't come in and buy a cupcake. Like every day, people would be like, if you just sold cupcakes, you'd make so much more money. If you just sold cake, you just make so much more money. If you just, and people constantly tried to convince me that I had to sell stuff out the front door. I didn't want to, didn't fit in with my lifestyle, didn't fit in with what I wanted to do. I didn't want to deal with wastage. There was just so many reasons why I didn't want to do it. So anybody time, anytime somebody tells you, you have to do something, that's a really, really bad idea. And along those same lines, I have to say, the kind of advice I didn't appreciate getting was people telling me, if you only did this, you would make that. So let me explain that a little bit better. The neighborhood that my business was located in was like one suburb over from a very, a very Jewish neighborhood. And I'm Jewish as well. So that's part of my, my cultural heritage and stuff. And so people constantly, and I mean constantly, were saying things to me like, you need to get kosher certified and you need to sell it, make sure all your cakes are kosher because that way you're opening the door to a much bigger audience. 
and more people will come to you if you sell kosher cakes. Now, here's the thing. I was not actually interested in selling in my own backyard. My own clientele was not the people I knew and loved. It really wasn't. I did not want people coming to my door being like, oh, hi, Michelle. I know your mother, father, sister, brother. Can I have a discount? I just, I didn't want that cultural responsibility, I guess is the right word. And I also, I wasn't interested in the kosher market. That wasn't really what I was going after. But literally every week, people be like, if only you were kosher, you'd make so much more money. And you know, Melbourne is not that small a town. If there was room for a super high-end kosher bakery, I'm sure somebody would have thought of it before I did, right? But I had to repeatedly reject that. And that's kind of the thing with bad advice. The people who give bad advice tend to try to shove it down your throat a lot, which is just so frustrating, you know? And so I found that like bad advice hangs around like a bad smell, you know, really, really difficult. So I just, I hated it when people were like, you have to do this in order to do that. As though I couldn't be successful on my own terms. I only had to follow somebody else's rule, you know? I guess resist the urge. Anytime somebody's like, you know, if only you sold gluten-free products, you'd make a million dollars. You know, there are some great gluten-free bakeries out there. I don't necessarily have to be the one who's doing that kind of thing. So let's see, what other kind of bad advice did I get? Oh, I got a lot of advice on not to go into business. (laughs) Like a lot of people tried to convince me out of it. By the time they tried to convince me out of it, though, I was well and truly in it for sure. Let me tell you. But a lot of people tried to convince me not to go into business, including my dad, right? Who was a small business owner himself. He actually famously told me that. So I think I've told you guys this story before, how I called him one day and I was really upset. And his answer to me was like, you know, Michelle, not everyone is suited to owning a business. And I was devastated. And again, him telling me that kind of made me double down on my efforts to be successful and to be like, go to hell, dad. I got this sorted out. But lots and lots and lots of people told me not to go into business. And again, it was those same people who were like, let me tell you all the horror stories about how awful it is and how hard it is and how you make no money and people don't pay you and whatever. The irony here, of course, is that there were just as many people who were like, you should sell sell those and that whole, you know, if you sold cake, you would make a fortune. Oh, my God. So... Like in one ear, I had the people going, you should so sell those. And in the other ear, I had these people going, did you know that cupcake place down the road just closed last week? (laughs) So I definitely had, yeah, I had a lot of that kind of stuff. And look, I told you, it's like the parenting thing, right? You can't actually get, you know, you can't actually hang out your shingle without everybody and his sister giving you every bit of advice you can possibly, possibly, possibly imagine, you know? One of the other bits of bad advice I got, and at the time, to be honest, I didn't actually, well, I tell you the story, the background here is I did not take it as bad advice at the time. I actually took this piece of advice to heart and I was heartbroken for quite a while over this. But like all things, Michelle, as you've now heard over the last you know 20 minutes of this podcast or whatever, I used it as an excuse to prove him wrong. So I hired an accountant for the business. I've mentioned before that I hate book work, like like bookkeeping and stuff. So I had an accountant. Accountant's name was Phil. And Phil was a lovely guy, except that many years later, it turned out that Phil was kind of shunky and <laughs> did illegal, scary, nefarious things. So he was really nice, but apparently a little dodgy. Anyway, I met Phil after I'd been in business, I want to say like two years, I think. And he came recommended by somebody else. I don't even remember now actually who recommended him. Anyway, so I went to see Phil and he he took over all my paperwork and everything was fine. He recommended a bookkeeper to me. Everything was great. And about every six months, I like to go and meet with the accountants because I want to know like, how is my business doing? And, you know, am I making any money? And, 
you know, I told you book work's not my thing. So about six months later, I booked an appointment to go and meet with Phil. And I'm sitting in Phil's office talking to him about the business. And the business was young. Like, I'm telling you, like two years, two and a half years, something like that. And I'm saying to Phil, like, hey, I'm really excited. You know, like things are going in the right direction. I'm getting more orders every week. I mean, I, I could tell because of the amount of work I was doing, obviously, that things were going better. I wouldn't say well yet because I was in the growing stage, but they were certainly going better. You know, I was, I was happy with the direction it was all going. And Phil actually said to me, I think you need to consider quitting the business. And I'm like, sorry, what did you say, Phil? Excuse me? I don't think so. And I said, why would I quit the business? Like, I only just started this thing and I'm only just like, you know, getting some headway here. Why the heck would I quit? And he said, I think you should quit because over time, the cost is going to increase faster than the rate at which people will pay for it. So what he meant was the cost to run my business was going to increase, increase, increase. Obviously, butter and flour and sugar are going to increase over time, but so is the labor component and just the cost of doing business is going to grow at a certain percentage. And in his opinion, people would not pay in line with that percentage. So if every year it cost me 20% more to run that business, he didn't feel that every year I could just charge 20% more. And so the point he was making, it was not he didn't mean to be rude or terrible or anything. But the point he was making was you're in the kind of business where the costs to run it are so high that you will never find people willing to pay what they're gonna what you need them to pay for it. At the time, it made logical sense. And even now, it sort of makes logical sense, but I think that really he was coming at it from the point of view of somebody who probably wasn't the guy who was gonna buy custom cake. He wasn't the guy who was gonna spend, you know, seven, eight, nine, whatever a thousand dollars on a wedding cake. He wasn't coming to it from that point of view. And I don't think he had a good handle on costing and pricing in our industry. He was just looking at bare numbers like, are you telling me it costs you $100 to make cake? Nobody's going to pay $150 for it. And that's utter rubbish because plenty of people paid me way more than it cost me. And the other thing he wasn't banking on was that I was never going to rely on just cake or just cupcakes alone, right? The business had multiple forms of income. I knew I had to get income from more than one place. I knew there was a lot involved and that I couldn't just rely on this custom cake thing, particularly if I wanted the size of business that I wanted. And he also didn't know that there were plenty of other businesses in my city who were doing exactly what I was proposing to do, who had been in business 10, 15, 20 years. If they could not meet the costs of what they were making, then they wouldn't still be in business, right? So his advice was basically like, quit before you've even tried. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so, Phil. By the way, subsequently, I got this letter from Phil's business partner saying Phil is a nefarious, dodgy fellow and we have we have separated ways. And I ended up finding a new accountant altogether. But it was really interesting to me that now that I think about it, although I'm sure he was giving me what he felt was good advice at the time, it wasn't coming from a place of understanding of my industry. It wasn't coming from a place of being my target market. That's probably the biggest one. And it wasn't really coming from a place of anything other than sheer, you know, the numbers say this now, but he had no vision. Phil had no vision. And I think if you're going to outsource, if you're going to work with other people, you need to do that with people who have vision who can see where you're headed, who can see what you're planning for, who can see that you're just not going to fall over at the first hurdle, you know? So yeah, that, that was bad advice. No thanks, Phil, <laughs> for that one. And probably the last piece of crappy advice I got, I don't want to say crappy, you know, people come to give you advice because they think they're doing the right thing and they're trying to be nice to you and they're trying to be lovely and they're just, you know, they might even be, 
even if they're expressing their own fears and worries, it usually, okay, not always, right? There's always that Aunt Matilda who's terrible. But usually when people are giving you advice, it's coming from a good place. It's not coming from a malicious place. It's coming from a place of them wanting to save you or wanting to help you or wanting to help you succeed. Or in the case of our parents, advice always comes because they're trying to protect us from hurt or failure. And you know what? I get that. I'm a parent. I get that. I give my kids advice all the time that I kind of secretly hope they don't take because I think, oh my, here I am going, don't touch that. When in reality, touch that and see what happens, you know? So anyway, the last piece of advice I got, which was bad, I would say, is don't make classes of things that are already available for sale on YouTube, (laughs) which is hilarious. And this is advice people get all the time and people ask me about all the time. So basically the advice is, why are you going to charge people to learn a skill that they can learn for free on YouTube? The truth is you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. In fact, today, earlier today, I'm making a costume for one of my kids and I learned how to make a no-sew tutu on YouTube. Very useful, right? But here's the thing. There is ocean loads of stuff available in the world for free. Doesn't mean it's not good, just means that it's free. And I sort of listened to that advice like, but I don't get it because technically lots of stuff is available for free on YouTube, but lots of stuff is available paid. And so you would think that if everything there was to know only existed on YouTube, that nobody would create a paid course, right? The advice made no sense to me, but I started to think about it and I started to go, well, if I was going to offer a paid thing, a tutorial or a class or whatever, what would entice somebody to buy it from me as opposed to getting it free on YouTube? And the answer I came up with was one quality. Part of the problem with YouTube is that there's, you know, I don't know, hundreds of millions, some huge number hundreds of millions of videos on there, all of which are free, which is great. But you sometimes have to sit there and scroll through a gajillion of them and watch snippets of a gajillion of them before you come to one that's good sound quality, good video quality, and actually provides you with the information you want to know, right? So you're kind of wasting time. So if it was me and somebody who I knew and trusted and whose quality I'd experienced before provided me with a paid tutorial where I didn't have to sift through 20,000 hours of YouTube, I'm all over it, man, right? Like I'm really all over that. Also, I wanted to buy things that was like a one-stop shop. So sometimes you go to YouTube and you watch a video, but then there's no template or there's no instructions or there's no like, you know, thing to follow. And I'm somebody who watches a video, but then I want to actually see it printed. And I want to have to keep hitting rewind, play, rewind, play. Like that would just make me crazy. So I would happily buy a tutorial from somebody who had a video component, but also had a printed component that I could follow, which you don't often get on YouTube, right? And I started to realize that, you know what? There is a lot of differences between stuff you find on YouTube and the stuff that you find paid, you know, particularly tutorials that you find paid. And I was like, well, of course people pay for it, right? Sometimes they'll pay for things that are done for them like templates or you know if you're a sewer maybe you'll 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 happily pay for a class because it has you know a, a a pattern in it or it tells you exactly what color thread to buy or it tells you exactly what type of fabric to buy you know people will pay for good quality information they'll pay for convenience they'll pay for perks a better customer experience you know that's another one right if i watch a tutorial on youtube and i leave a comment or i have a question I've got no idea if that person's ever going to respond to me. Maybe they put that tutorial up like 10 years ago. I don't know. But if I paid for a tutorial, then usually I know that I can get in touch with that person and say, hey, I've got a question. I need more information. Can you help me do this? Whatever the story is. So the bad advice was 
don't offer people to buy something that they can get for free elsewhere. And honestly, that was terrible advice. The other thing about free stuff is that people often do not value it, right? So I can tell you at various points in my career, I've offered things for free and people don't use it. Like I've done giveaways of like my classes and stuff and people just don't use it. Whereas if they pay for it, they're more likely to use it. Because when we exchange money with people, that's saying this thing is important to me. This thing has value to me. This thing is worth my investing time. And I mean, it's like a gym membership, right? You know, in the beginning, you're like, man, if I'm paying $39 a month, I'm getting into that gym. Like I am going, right? So it's a bit like that. Once people start paying for something, they value it a lot more and they tend to use it a lot more. So that was terrible advice. Like, you know, don't offer anything if it's already free on YouTube. Well, there's a lot of crap that's free on YouTube and it's not all great. So there you go. I have to say overall, I've been pretty lucky in that the advice I've gotten over the years has not been all terrible. It's not been all good either, but it has not all been terrible. And I tend to be of strong enough will that when somebody gives me advice, I kind of listen to it and then I decide if I want to use it or not. And that's the truth with my kids too. You know, people gave me all sorts of advice. I listened politely to all of it. In my head, I told some people to F off and other people, I was like, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. But ultimately, my decision-making process and whether or not I take advice will always come down to trusting my gut. And anytime something, I have to tell you, anytime something went wrong in my business or in my life, it's because I didn't listen to my inner voice, right? No, no other reason really. So probably the worst advice giver in the world is myself because I would tell myself to ignore my inner voice. And that is honestly far and away the worst advice anybody can give you is not to listen to your gut and not to give yourself the confidence to follow what you truly believe in or what you truly think is going to be okay. If something does not feel right, if it doesn't smell right, if it doesn't look right, it's probably not right. So the best advice I can give you when it comes to the worst advice is no matter what advice you get, always, always, always go with your gut because that's always going to be the best indicator of whether or not something is good or bad and good or bad for you personally, as well as good or bad for you as a business. And since this is my podcast and I get to give you advice, (laughs) the best advice I get to give you today is that in the next couple of weeks, my enrollment is opening for Build Your Profitable Cake business. That's opening at the end of March this year, or middle to the end of March, that class is opening. It only opens every six months. So twice a year, I take students into that class. It's far and away one of the things I'm the most proud of. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing community. It's not cheap to buy into that class, which is probably why it's an amazing community because people value the things they pay for, right? And we tend to put more more effort and more love and more commitment into the things that we've paid for. And that class is a really great example of that. So I look forward to you joining me. If you want to join me for Build Your Profitable Cake Business, that is going to be starting up again in March. You'll find all the information about it on thebizofbaking.com. And the other thing that starts to happen this time of year is that I open up enrollment to my in-person classes. And this year is going to be quite the bumper year. I'm very excited. I will be in Australia this year, in Sydney and Melbourne. I'll be in the United States. I'll be in Los Angeles, Houston, Cincinnati, Virginia. And I will also be in Canada for the second time because I feel like the Canadians never get anything. We need to be nicer to Canadians. So this year I'll be in Toronto and then hopefully I have yet to confirm it, but hopefully at the end of the year, I'll be back in Birmingham in the UK. So that's going to be amazing. So keep an eye out on the blog, keep an eye out on my social media sites. They're all the business of baking because I'm lazy. So I named everything exactly the same thing. (laughs) And you'll start to see information coming out about build your profitable cake business and about my live in-person and classes. 
Some people prefer to learn live. Some people prefer to learn online. Some people like to do both. Really up to you, your business, your rules. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.